0: My spidey sense is tingling
1: A really big show He's the host that introduced the lower 48 to the Stoli Caramel and Apple Cider Drink Extraordinaire. He's Slim. This is the Paper Keg Show, episode 173.
2: Jonesy loves redlining. He is back.
1: <laughs>
2: Blowing out iPhone 6 speakers left and right.
1: Hey, well, if you have the 6+, plus, I won't blow out Gosh. it all. It's so big. Right. Welcome.
2: Live right here on the Paper Keg Show. Welcome to Papercake. That's right, this is Papercake. We talk about comic books. You know, occasionally the books we're reading Gotham Central, Book One. and <laughs> to rush through my intro. There. We do a we do a book club, okay, to close out every episode. This episode is super special. We're not gonna talk about any other books except for one comic book in particular, and that's Gotham Central from DC Comics. This whole show devoted to it. The first twenty or so issues anyway. We're splitting it up over two shows. So um you know, that's out of the way. Let's let's talk about the host of this show. People you're going to be hearing from. He's a father, first of all. He's got gray hair that I wish I had. He's wearing a polo shirt like he just walked right out of an important meeting. He's a Facebook phenom. I need a new. I need to do something else with my life. <laughs> I'm seeing throwback Thursdays in my Twitter timeline from his time hops. Uh, underscore
0: A, welcome back to the show. Throwback Thursday. One year ago today, I spilled salmonella-infested chicken juice on my work shirt, so I took it off and finished cooking the dinner in my skin-tight tank top undershirt. (laughs) And it was a sight to see. I mean, if somebody were to come to the door... When I was dressed like that, boy. Oh, boy! They probably would have gone primal <laughs> on you. It would probably have been something sick, primal and uh, raw chicken juice, just becoming one—a miasma of love and and, and food poisoning worst kind I think
2: love poisoning <laughs> uh, we have another host you know we we, we we talked to new listeners last week we, we told them this was our street cred mm-hmm. uh, yeah. pale skinned uh, corpse like writer unpublished granted never been published
1: by choice
2: um, mm. obvious alcoholism at play uh, various <laughs> points of the show history. Jonesy loves beer. Welcome back.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, it's not alcoholism until it's been diagnosed. So until that point, you know, just a lush. Who told you that? Who who, who told uh, you that statement? Medical doctors of varying yeah. degrees. That, that sounds like some little jokey
0: kitchen magnet you would f- see at a, like a tchotchke store. When you're out on vacation. <laughs>
1: Tchotchke. <laughs>
0: I mean, either that
2: or it's something another alcoholic tells you at 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah. As you're stumbling to your car and the key won't go in the hole because you're using your house key.
1: Well, you know, or or you have a key fob where you just hit oh, it. Oh, look it, out. It Here we go.
2: So your driver, your driver doesn't open the door for you with that key fob? Uh, good we one. have a big show. Good one. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest shows we've ever done... Greg Rucka, He started a sensation on this show we called Rucka Keg, where we devoted an entire episode Episode ninety two. I don't even think it actually was an entire episode the first time we did it, was it, for Punisher? It was just the whole it book club was, was a entire, whole series.
1: The entire series was the episode I think it was about an hour and a half long. Wow. Gosh, did don't we do to round that? table books? We had to have. I th- nope. We, we nope. didn't? That we, oh, we decided... Hold on a second. No, no, no. I, I'm being like fairly accurate here in saying that we decided the week before, I believe it was your idea, Slim. Yeah, of course it was. We should say all 28 issues, we don't do anything else, we just talk about Greg Ruckers, the Punisher, the entire episode. And we just whipped out those big Bs because that was such a fantastic idea, and that was the impetus of uh, Rucker mm. Keg. It was right after we recorded 91.
0: 92, yeah.
1: And we had to, like, we had to get to, like, mad scientists that were like, well, we obviously can't do a roundtable. Do we have enough time to do all 28 issues? And we made, we didn't overcommit, but we special committed to 28 issues in one week. Special commit. So we all, like, took it seriously and read early, and we were ready to go for that record Last time that ever happened. (laughs)
2: So this episode we're going to do the first half of Gotham Central Which is the first two hardcovers In the Line of Duty and Jokers and Mad Men And then next episode we'll finish the series So six stories in total for this episode Mm. I wrote them down, I wrote the titles down Each one a gem Alleged gems Save it Save it for the show that starts right now For Gotham Central Jonesy, what is
1: Gotham Central? All right, I'm going to do the most succinct um, synopsis that I can. So here we go. Imagine that Paper Keg was a tandem graphic novel written by Slim and Dale A., the two champs, the two heavyweights. A paper cake. Imagine they split creative duties for an unprecedented 40-issue run of a comic book. And you would have comic darlings Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka splitting duties on GCPD, Gotham Central. And Gotham Central is the best backup story to ever take the center stage of the comic medium. It's gritty, uh, police procedural, meets the the behind-the-scenes of your favorite comics that you never get to see and finally realize you wanted desperately all along. It's the inner workings of the... Detectives' room, the, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, the floor of the Gotham Central Police Department, and the detectives, lieutenants, and sergeants that operate it, their relationships with each other, their relationships with Batman or their feelings about him, and eventually how they're able to be effective and honorable officers that still managed to hope for gotham city gotham central it's pretty good so he gets paid i guess i wanted i wanted to ramble and go into each individual arc but i have thought that would take half the show we got a whole show to do it you know the whole show that's 20 some issues Should I name my favorite arc now or wait? Uh, well,
2: I mean, overall, what are what are we? I think we did Gotham Central. Trade one was that for Paper Keg, or was that for it? Was I believe it was in the first twenty episodes of Paper Keg. So we did the first two stories. So we read those before. I mean, I don't know when it happened, but Ah. I feel like we did it. Dale is making I, a scrunchy face, like someone farted in his mouth. I don't know what's happening. Can we get
1: um, is Matt uh, Matt H? I don't know if he's listening uh, live. Listening live? Can he
2: intern it for us? I mean, we could easily just type into Google paperk Gotham Central." And I'm see sure it we comes could, up. but I feel like that's an easy thing for one of us to do. I'm doing it. All right, I'm, doing, I'm right. doing it right now. Let's get both of you on the case. So, book one is three stories. Book two is three stories, and Brew Baker and Rucka swap. They do the first story of each book, and then they kind of intermingle on the second and the third. So in book one, In the Line of Duty, it's both of them write the first story, which is about Detective Driver and Mr. Freeze-type storyline, and then Brubaker does the second one, and then Rucka. And they they do that for these first two books, which is fascinating and And I'm always curious how two writers work on a book together. I don't know what that process is like. I don't know if they've ever written about it. Maybe they've talked about interviews. But, and they, you know, they're both known for noir-ish type stories. So I really enjoyed a book that was just about Gotham cops and them dealing with, you know, kind of regular crime, but also superhero crime. You know, they're the major crimes unit and seeing how they, you know, what the this, this storyline that was really thick in the first book, but maybe not so much um, in the other stories. I mean, I guess it was in all of them, except for maybe the last two. Uh, they, they didn't like Batman getting involved. They kind right. of saw it as them not being able to do their jobs when they hit that signal. So when they did decide to do the signal and, like, you know, there's various points where the characters are like, oh, crap, we have to use the bat. So You know, they knew that, like, S was
1: getting too hot for them. I, I believe the standout line from Driver to the uh, Lieutenant at the time was, do you know what it's like to feel like you have to solve every crime before the sun goes down? Because, ostensibly, Batman will be taking over mm. once, mm-hmm. you know.
2: the the um, The Joker one, I think, was the other one that stood out where... The uh, shift manager, shift commissioner, shift lieutenant decided to hit the signal when he realized the Joker was the sniper, and that caused a whole S storm. But I I really loved the 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 first half of the series. There were some standouts, and there were some ones I loved more than others. And we can go into each story, but I mean, the Montoya story was probably my favorite one of the whole book. The Rene Montoya. Uh, rucka story good grief mm-hmm. amazing you know i i see like screenshots of that story on twitter all the time and i never read it but i finally did and i'm every screenshot is worth it story is amazing
0: yeah the oh, man i was just getting in back into comics and at the time i didn't know this was out but looking back I was fully not prepared for Gotham Central while I was getting back into comics until I had a super, you know, super appreciation for Brewbreaker and Rucka and Michael Lark and Brian Hurt who did a story and everybody that was involved with this book because uh, this was this started coming out like right when Batman Hush was coming out. And that's when I, I remember getting back into comics when the like the 3rd or 4th issue of Hush was out and you know I only had eyes for that kind of stuff back then so this would have never been on my radar but i mean this was this just like blew me away um first of all to have Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker like double teaming a uh, uh, what they do best on a book and then keeping it wholly about the detectives and in not a kooky way. There's, because you know, Batman's rogues Gotham City's rogues Gotham City's villains are so outlandish and, you know, uh, of another time they just try to write them they try to write them in a more serious manner now and all psychotics and stuff like that, but I don't know, just everything about this comic just made it the best thing ever mm. like it was yeah. every panel mattered every panel could take place on a television set and it all mattered I mean everything like when you said the, uh, the relationships with each other Jonesy it's uh, it, half of the book was just the detectives busting each other's
1: balls or trying to uh, you know help each other out or or are Romy and Driver really going to yeah, you know, work it out in the end. Yeah. Or
2: just like how partners uh, interact with each other. Yeah, how was, they look out for each other, and how not keeping secrets is a big deal, and how offended they are when they find out something that they didn't know.
0: Like it paints such a, such a picture, and I and I believe it's well, true. But I mean, there th- these were these bonds that these partners form with each other is so strong. It's like stronger than marriage for a lot of these guys. It's like more than brother-sister. It's these, you know, they have to trust each other completely. And they just, they capture all that in these stories. And I like how each story was about a different set of partners or a different individual in the detective department, in the major crimes unit. is is absolutely incredible.
2: And reading this, I get like so annoyed. Before the Gotham show was announced, everyone one thought that this would make a great TV show idea. How would this... This is like a CSI Gotham. Preach it. Almost. Preach it. And even if you contractually you can't use Batman or something, mm-hmm. you can still just use a shadowy figure that mumbles at you in these scenes or that swoops right. in in the darkness and says something and swoops away. Because all this stuff where Batman comes in, Like, he's only in, like, every so many issues of this, and he's on, like, two panels. Yeah. And he drops little nuggets for them to, like, all right, I'm going. He essentially, like, solves it, but then gives them, like, little tidbits of information to follow him and figure it out for themselves. He never really tells them what he knows.
0: And you have to appreciate what the creators did as far as handling this book and not making about Batman. Mm-hmm. Before, I w- before I read it, I would have never guessed how they could handle such a, a, you know, a story about the detectives of Gotham City and not make it about Batman solving every crime. But it's, it right. was handled to- so tastefully and, and the, the stories were not about Batman at all. But obviously he's a player because he interacts with the department, the commissioner, the bat signal is on top of the... Uh, the, the Gotham City PD building and mm-hmm. that's that whole storyline's great how they they have to hire they contract out to a civilian to basically turn on the bat signal for them because if the Gotham City Police Department turns on the bat signal they're basically admitting or admitting the fact that Batman is real and they're basically acknowledging that he is a part of the police force and mm-hmm. they could be held accountable for his actions and stuff it was, it was, that was cool. I mean, I,
2: like, what goes through, um, the last thing I'll say this, but, like, see, the CSI shows are, like, the most popular shows on TV. They can put it in, they can make CSI Horsham, and people would watch it every week. It doesn't matter where it is. People will watch those shows. Mm-hmm. How, how is, like, MC, MCU Gotham not the number one most popular idea on a TV network? That's, that's, that's I- cash cow.
1: I agree. And when I saw the first episode of Gotham, which is the show that's currently on, I was flummoxed as to why they weren't following Gotham Central A to Z. Yeah. And I don't know if they were just trying to cash in on the non-reading crowd. And that that's a terrible thing to say, that they would just... I mean cuz if everyone saw the flash premiere like that's pretty much you could put a cosmic treadmill in episode 2 and you would just have the most perfect flash adaptation ever and to go back to fox's gotham and and be like they're so afraid to break away from the I don't know what you would call the popular mythology yeah, yeah. that it it's it's almost throwing a mon- monkey wrench into their own idea And then you go and read something like Gotham Central, and it's so... And I don't want to... And I don't say this lightly, but it's so perfectly written that it lends itself,
0: the TV. And that almost... And that almost, like... Not to say the CSI shows are bad, but to, to... Like, this is like The Wire or maybe even True Detective, like that quality. Like, CSI is not about... The, the relationships of people as much as it's like gore factor and how crazy a crime can be, you know, for these guys to figure out. But this is like interpersonal relationships and stuff. I mean, but I I get what... Obviously, I'm not, not going to slim it. I get what you're trying to say. It's It would be a, an amazing like law and order kind of... So, I'm just saying
2: sweeps sweep, soft targets hits, the Joker storyline. People lose their s. They show like the yeah. cuts of him in the in the interview
1: interrogation room. People are just pooping themselves. Pooping. You know, did they and I don't want to make this episode all about T V, but didn't they have um what was it, The Birds of Prey was the like quickly canceled Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. that. WB show. And I I think they used Joker and, and Batman in the in the premiere episode. Really? I, I want to say, I, I mean, listen, it's me talking here. Yeah, that's true. We should immediately discount it. You got, I, you did I say really want to say. That we did say, Gotham Central in the first 20 episodes of Paper Keg and we never did And we did it. not. I did Google it and I was what wrong. Was, so was a
2: When did we do Gotham Central? We never did Did Gotham. we ever? We no. never
1: did it. We I definitely talked about it for, for maybe it was the comics <laughs> podcast. All right, so
2: maybe we should go into book one and rattle off maybe, I don't know if we want to spend a ton of time on the first two since we did them already but book one has that in the line of duty mr (laughs) freeze story um Mm -hmm. which is fantastic i thought i mean great primer for the entire series yeah driver driver is a detective and his cop is killed by mr freeze like right off the bat and he doesn't want them to call in batman even though it's I guess I'm not sure if they use the phrase in this issue, but maybe this the storyline after. But they called a red ball. They like this is the this is the big one. You know, we have to call in Batman. Almost we know Mister Freeze is here. We can't handle it, and he says no. And they want to. He wants to like do it his way, just the police department. And after some investigation, they they realize that okay, we're we are in too deep. We have to call Batman, and like the. Batman comes in. They spend so much time trying to crack this case, and when they call Batman, it's over in thirty seconds. Like he shows up, and he and he he shows up with this like ball that they're at honoring Commissioner Gordon, who's since retired apparently in the storyline. And he's like, "It's finished," and then he just goes. <laughs> he's back on the
1: darkness. rooftop. <laughs> it's all taken care of. Like that's got to be so
0: demoralizing. It, yeah. it absolutely does. I mean, and Driver. He
1: lost a partner to Mister Freeze, and Batman one of their just, own lays dead, and he can't even have the satisfaction of taking the killer down. And mm-hmm. he does like at the end of the. <laughs> it was so random, but at the end of the story arc,
0: Batman's like walking down the driveway, I guess, to the Batmobile, like a cat like a civilian would, <laughs> right? And like <laughs> drivers in his car, the window down, he's like, "Damn you, Batman!" Mm-hmm. Like Batman, I guess, just did the one time he didn't glide off of the roof. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the one time he decides to take a stroll down a driveway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> gravel driveway to his car. But man, Batman gets crapped on in this series. Like he I mean, he's kind of a jerk too in some scenes, the way he interacts with oh, his yeah. cops, but I guess that's part of his bit where he can't just kind of be buddy buddy with them. But man, they really just let him have it in the scenes where he's
1: the most with poignant. The, cops. the most poignant scene is when Driver finally um Solves the fire bug crimes and he turns the signal on at the end and Batman shows up and he's like, listen, we can do this on our own. I just want you to know you're not King S. And Batman's like, only use this in case of emergencies. (laughs) And it jumps off the (laughs) roof. Yeah. Well, what's
2: also crazy is the speed at which Batman arrives on the Gotham roof. Oh, yeah. It's one signal. I mean it's it's 2 seconds like he's just waiting for them to flip the switch and he hops on the roof. He's like, he's like per- at the
1: water tower across the street yeah, yeah, having like exactly. a bologna sandwich. <laughs>
2: he just waits for that signal to go up every night. Just kicking rocks on the other rooftop waiting for it to go off. But he the way he's depicted too was really great. It was almost like that Mazzucchelli year 1 costume. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. design for the whole series so far that we've seen. Firebug one was great, how that one was I felt like that one was a really gritty uh actual kind of police story. Wasn't too superhero-ish. They were really trying to crack a case, you know, what happened to this uh girl that was kidnapped and found dead and there was a weird ransom note, who did it? I thought that was a great like story beginning to end, I thought.
1: And there was um Broobs spread a lot of clues. And that story, and they all hit me at the end, like the clue where um, uh, the clue where the young girl had a complaint registered against her because she was going through uh, belongings at the home, and only at the end when you realize that she went through the closet where the firebug costume was kept, like like those things that those red herrings finally like, came together in a puzzle piece, mm-hmm. and you were like, oh, they've been telling us all along who the firebug was, and we just mm-hmm. now get it. Yeah. At the end, I mean, that's pretty masterful storytelling and something you really don't see in a big uh, big two book. Like, that was Brewbreaker at his mystery crime finest.
2: And I guess props to, like, if people crap on DC for this book ending and then, you know, not making something out of it to this day, but I mean, I have to give them props for trying a book like this as an ongoing... And in the first place, having Rucka and Brubaker presumably just doing whatever they want—I don't know if that's actually true—but uh-huh. I mean, the stuff that came out so far is fantastic.
0: And they and they let they did it for forty issues, which is a pretty long lifespan in the in a in an ongoing comic book. Almost four years, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's pretty amazing for what what was accomplished.
2: The um, the half a life storyline. I thought, uh, so Rene Montoya is uh, a detective in this story, and. Uh, Jonesy, you, you need to synopsize something. I think maybe you should synopsize
1: uh, Half a Life. All right, so Half a Life, Renee Montoya, A1 respected detective, ex partner of Harvey Bullock, um, is under investigation. You know, uh, she was implicated in a bust and that criminal has hired a private investigator to follow her and ia internal affairs pretty much the most vile department of police in any movie comic book story ever approaches her one day and says hey you know renee uh we think this guy could be after you so we just want to check around And uh, Renee's like, whatever, has dinner with her folks. You know, they're very religious. Uh, Her brother, also very supportive. And, uh, you know, they're they're on her like, Renee, you need to find a man. You're in your late 30s. You need to get your ass together. And she's like, all right, well, you know, I'm going to, uh," you know, she decides she's going to get a booty call late at night. Maybe she's going to try it. Or that's what we're led to believe. Renee shows up to GCPD the next day to have a slanderer post a picture of her and her girlfriend in a passionate embrace uh, the next day. And what blows up from there is both the, the issues and, and Renee reconciling with being a lesbian and being a police officer, uh, reconciling with a very uh, strict old-school family who is pretty much destroyed by her admission, And the fact that this private investigator is using that relationship to submarine her reputation. And then the Batman wrinkle comes in. We find out that Two-Face, of all people, has been orchestrating this whole event because he feels he owes her a past debt and the Harvey side of him is still deeply attracted to her. So what occurs is the classic, as Dale would say, rope-a-dope. Where you're not sure whether Renee did it or not, but knows that she has these issues. And then you find out it's a big Batman-sized scheme against her. And, uh, you know, of course, the Dark Knight comes at the end to kind of save the day. But I feel like the biggest issues that are explored here and that touched me emotionally is how, t- and how tough it must be to be gay mm-hmm. and a cop and have an old school family, like struggles that I will never have to deal with. Uh, suddenly I feel immense empathy for watching Renee trying to live her life and be happy and be burdened by these old world views that pretty much cripple her and make her miserable. And that's it, the B-plot.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was
1: crazy. And then have herself outed not
2: by her and not on her own terms. Like exactly. In, during the course of this weird private eye stalker thing that's also suing her, she comes into the station and her there's a picture of her kissing another woman. And there it is. It's out in the open in front of her entire team. And, I mean, her partner... And that you know, that leads to another thing her partner didn't know, and that kind of creates a little conflict uh
1: that Cause Crispin, you know, wasn't expected. Crispus is pretty much, you know, you could have told me I'm right. you know, I'm not a bad guy, and she's like, Well I can't tell anyone. And before we move on, I mean that's not just a fling she was having. She readily admits that's the love of her life. So there's like another emotional toll. Beyond that, you know, this is just a one-night thing and I got caught. Like, this is the woman she wants to spend the rest of her life with. Yeah, like, that... I mean, what an... What a
0: crazy story to put in a Gotham City detective book. Like, that's like indie comic. I'm not saying that mainstream comics, you know, big two comics can't have it, but that's like something you would read in an indie comic that we would do a book club for, and it would just be a woman's struggles to, to struggle with her reality and and sexuality and how she copes with the people around her and how they cope with her. And that's like, that, like Josie said, it's the B-plot to this amazing crime story, but it's all real. Like, the dialogue is real, and the Gotham City detective department is like it's like an old boys club you, as you could imagine yeah. and the and the the, de- yeah, the women detectives A-holes. have to yeah and the women detectives like have to ha- carry a, you know a, have to understand and have to be one of the boys basically if they want to keep up with the mostly male dominated department and you know some people act differently and even you you get those a-hole guys that are in the locker room and somebody overhears them making jokes about even you know, Montoya being a you know how they could see it seeing it all along, and it's just like not nice stuff. But that's the kind of stuff that
1: you potentially dealing with in a real life scenario like that. And yeah. it, like if you put it in our perspective, Renee Montoya was a was a not a lead, but a pretty recurring character of Batman the animated series. And she always had this like byplay with Bullock, and she was pretty prominent when they would do GCPD stories. So, like, when I I saw Renee Montoya in this series, like, to me, that's, like, part of my childhood. So, immediately when this happens, you, like, I wanted to rally against her banner. I'm like, you don't F with Renee. Like, that's my girl right there. So, uh, So, you would think that nobody in editorial would allow something like this to happen, but... You know, they come in, Rucka and Brubaker, and they tell these poignant, beautiful stories using characters you know and mm-hmm. love. And it just creates like a whole new level of buy in for even fans like me who are not DC readers, but yeah. Renee Montoya, because of, you know, TAS, is important to me. Was the Two Face backstory a
2: thing in the comics? Does anybody know? Or was this like.
1: I feel like if we would ask Mark right now, he would give us issue numbers mm. of how be- it was
2: because, like, when they kind of like all knew that it was Two Face at a certain point, I don't, th- I don't feel like there was enough there where it made yeah. sense for this to be a new thing in the storyline. Where oh, that's right, she talked to him at Arkham or whatever and was nice to him. It felt like a weird jump for me.
0: Yeah, like if it was just written in, it wasn't there wasn't enough like maybe people who know renee montoya knows she has a history with harvey dent in other series mm. and i always knew now this is from me just being into comics in the past seven to ten years i always knew renee montoya as being gay but i wonder if this is where it was first made like was Rene did renee montoya exist before this in the comics
2: Actually, I have no idea. I feel like I, we should know that, but... Yeah. Was well, she I mean, there of people that r- It was the hypothetical. Yeah. No, but, but you're right. But I, I feel like there's plenty of people, I, my wife is one, that read this not knowing anything about any of these characters. I mean, I didn't know anything about anybody either. Yeah. Except and you, for Batman. And, and you Bullock don't have and, to. And Gordon. So these are like questions that, you know, non-Mark, D, uh, former DC historian, now dead, that would ask about about these characters. hmm But I mean the that plot was interesting and then how, you know, Batman was able to figure it out and swoop in two seconds game over solved and saved Renee from her kidnapping. But the the craziest part, also that how she like didn't knock out any of these other cops when they were bashing her for being gay. I don't know how she did it. Like the, no, the amount of restraint she showed. I was waiting for her to karate kick somebody in the jaw in that
1: police like it, uh, headquarters. To me, it was like if somebody at work were to make fun of my kid. Mm-hmm. Like that was the same. Like my shoulders bunched up when she was walking through that operations floor, and people were for no, without provocation. Just slamming her, and she was just trying to walk away from her desk. Like, I, like if someone were like making fun of my kid, like I would be all over them. I would be, you know, forget my job, forget my career. I'm gonna make you pay for that s. And the fact that she has the character, I guess, I guess the character and the bravery to keep her cool. I mean, she's better than I am because I would have lost it. The the part at the end,
2: she goes with her girlfriend to tell her parents finally. Oh, and then the other part, her parents were told um, also by, I guess, Two-Face or whoever sent the the photo around, which I guess was Two-Face at the end. I think, didn't he also send that photo to her family?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. and her
2: brother had to like... Oh, yeah, her brother. Her brother who, who knew about her being a lesbian but still was like not approving of it or was still kind of like almost you know, really second guessing her life choice still, which is awful. But when she goes to tell or talk to her parents, um, they, you're, you're, you're almost expecting a happy ending. Like, I don't know why I was, but I definitely was. You're expecting them to be like open
0: arms. Not in Gotham. Yeah. Because Um, they were painted to be such unaccepting, you know religious people throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing you're like well there's got to be some redemption at the end here right
2: and there and there wasn't uh, exactly what renée montoy was expecting them to just be full of bigotry and they essentially like kick her out of the family and that's the end of the story she's she sits there with her girlfriend and they kind of just embrace and she's been kicked out of the family that she grew up with and loved for her entire life because she's gay, and 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 it's just so heartbreaking because that's that's life that happens to people that's happened to people it's happened to people right now, but you just don't see it in a mainstream Marvel
1: DC comic book. No, and you like you see a story like this, and you see what a valuable person Renee is, what a good person she is. And you get mad that she can't have the happy ending, you know, she deserves. And it's kind of like in life, uh, like, I can't fathom why Noah would want to accept Renee Montoya. I mean, talk about a hardworking cop with a heart of gold, honorable, best friend to Harvey Bullock, like, this a stand up person. And the fact that she doesn't get her just desserts like gets in your craw and then it makes you feel sad that it happens in real life like this is a, to your point a glimpse into a real thing and it gets you PO'd that it even happens mm-hmm. I mean more power to Rucka and Brubaker for making people feel that way
2: so that is
1: essentially the end of book one also um, slim by the way also my favorite story half a life sure
2: and I feel like um, before we get into, well, maybe I'll save my feelings for book two after we after we go through it. But what was the, when was the one shot of the kind of temp uh, receptionist? um that
1: was issue eleven. That okay. was right sure between Half a Life and Soft Targets. Got it.
2: I, th- I enjoyed that for that issue for what it was. I thought it was a cool little. Not fill an issue, but just not a part of the grand weaving story of of Gotham Central. I thought that was really cool insight into that character that f- essentially is paid to flip that mm-hmm. Bat signal and how she fantasizes about Batman. I I liked it for what it was.
1: I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, first of all, it adds that wrinkle that Dale discussed earlier, which was legally, how does the police department get away with summoning Batman? And you know the the reason is they hire a civilian contractor to flip the light switch on, thus you know entering a legal loophole where they are not responsible for the intervention of Batman. I mean that's that's pretty great as a premise altogether. Yeah, it is. And to have this reverse love letter uh, in the background of where this girl is hired at this job, where she's kind of a fly on the wall. So she's not really in these relationships that she gets to observe. So she fabricates this dream relationship with Batman because really of all the jobs in that department, hers is the most romantic in nature. You know, summoning a masked hero to help save the day and she's responsible for it. I mean, you kind of get caught up in the grandeur of what, a, that, what kind of relationship that is and it's quick. So you don't, it's not around long enough for you to get sick of it. It's just this kind of, this beautiful downbeat as you go into the next major story arc. and One of the better issues, I think, in the arc, or in the series, rather.
0: Yeah, I really like this, and uh, the art, I really like the way Batman was drawn in this, too. And he gets the most face time in this, but it's all daydreamy, not real. But it's a, it, was a, it was a cool thing, and I, I was expecting more one-shots, but I don't mind that they weren't there, but this set this set me gave me the expectation that there might be more one shots. But as far as I know, you know, so far there's not any. But it was a cool little story about, you know, and it was all told through a letter she was writing to a friend, and it was a really, really sweet story. So book two gets thick
2: into the rogues gallery hard uh you know probably for the first time for the whole series joker becomes a prominent character there's someone sniping various i don't know rep- uh, state representatives you know the commissioner or the councilman or whoever the people getting gunned down left and right and it's revealed to be the joker and then he turns himself in at one point and there's one more kind of trap that he has set that they need to figure out before the clock kind of goes to zero and you know how the Gotham Central Police Department deals with a Joker scenario for the first time in this series and the fallout of that the deadly fallout really
0: yeah it, I, I immediately had flashbacks to um what was a death of the family where he just murdered like here when he turns himself in and and when he's done being beaten to death and interrogated he just starts killing cops Left and right, like, yeah. I mean, why work at Gotham City and if that's police officer? You get <laughs> one run in with the Joker, and you're you're done for. There's no,
1: and your whole precinct is just pretty much eliminated. Yes. I don't know yeah. what it is about Joker's bullets, but they don't ever miss their target.
2: He's an amazing shot. Oh,
1: and
0: he, he makes a joke, like he makes a joke to all the police officers because he's like, you wearing your vest and he just shoots
1: him in the head, shoots oh him in the gosh. neck. Like, so geez. amazing. Joker is not affected like by things like recoil, uh, modern day ballistics technology, uh, at no point does he ever miss a target he is intended. Well, what else? To,
2: do, what does he do in his free time if he's not, you know, he's at he's at the juicy, juicy fish in people's faces. Yeah, he's he's shooting in a cave somewhere. He's like Al Qaeda in Gotham. The uh, what's Al Joka? Oh my word, Was that too he soon? He turns himself in to Gotham and uh, kind of jumping around a little bit because this scene juts out of me. Like you said, Dale, these cops get killed. How do you not have like? Seven armed guards outside of that door, Seriously. Door yeah, me. with guns Absolutely. drawn. Because yeah.
0: yeah, you know he's he just turned himself in. He's up to something. Yeah, he's everyone a has to be on
2: high alert. Yes, yes. And you would have that interrogation room triggered with gas the second he leaves the room. You have like a collar on him or <laughs> <Yeah>. something.
1: <laughs> yes, but and I mean the at the same cops, time, you, like why is he not dead? I mean, there's with, with the people we are introduced to. And these twenty two issues, it like even I mean, I gotta think the driver at this point would be like, you know what? I will go to jail to kill this mf'er, and just walk up behind the Joker, and just put one in his head. Well, that's a that's a great point because Joker
2: kills Proby, the guy that I guess they call him Proby. His one the kind probationary
1: of, lieutenant is that what it is? Yeah, yeah,
2: he's he's kind of annoyed at Sawyer taking over the precinct a little bit. And so he goes in to get... He wants to beat the the info out of the Joker where this final person is being captive. And he even says... He's like, I'm transferring out at the end of the month anyway, so I'm going in. I'll take the heat. And so this is like the redemption story for this character who's kind of been a curmudgeon the whole series. Mm-hmm. He goes in. Um, I can't remember if they figure it out or not. At the moment where he's beating him up where Batman kind of fills in the mayor. And... He turns away from the Joker for one second. Joker thrusts his handcuff chains into his throat, bashes his head in with something, presumably a phone book, he's dead. He gets out. So he, this is when he starts rattling off from the hip these cops, headshots, no scopes. You know, the most impossible shots <laughs> oh, in history. Over
1: his shoulder. You know, and one and Sawyer up. one of the
2: coolest scenes Sawyer comes out of nowhere, peppers him with like five shots, the Joker. That's the first time yeah. I think in a comic where <laughs> yeah. I've seen like finally somebody <laughs> right. shoots the Joker, <laughs> and and at that point you're so, you're Captain Sawyer at this point why not go for a headshot? This is the moment where you could kill Joker and without totally any repercussion. Equated. Yep, you would get a medal. Yeah, and just he put just put killed one in five his cops. Put one this one is in it. His head, you go for a kill shot here. Game over. But he, she shoots him like six times. He's he's living, he gets out of it eventually. But I mean, that moment for me was like a whoa moment because I, I don't think I've ever seen a cop shoot Joker like five times.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, and I guess, I guess, uh, who, who wrote this one, Brubaker or Rucka? But, this
2: was both of them for this one.
0: I mean, I, I guess they're probably like, you know what, it's pretty impossible for somebody to not gun down the Joker after doing all this. So they had to do yeah. something. And especially because it, it's so focused on the, the police department itself. But, I mean, my God. And, and and so it's just, yeah. And so, like, Joker turns himself in. The whole city feels safe. So they're allowed out again and they go Christmas shopping. And that's the, uh, that was Joker's ploy all along. Because he knew that the streets would be evacuated. They need people back on the streets. Start filling the stores again. And that's when his plan, His trick was to uh, blow up a toy store with all the kitty's parents in it, and the newscaster who's been like grinding the gears of all the detectives with her Gale Weathers type reporting, and uh, then then out of that, this tw- uh, toy store blows up. Everybody gets evacuated, but. Um, What's her name? Romy's uh, Nate. Romy's partner Nate runs in to try to save the reporter, disarm the bomb. Bomb goes off, and as you know, as the smoke clears and Romy and others run back into like the rubble, they see Nate like dying under rubble and Batman holding the newscaster. So it's like immediately, nobody knows what kind of really went on, but Batman chose to... Like, I, you know, you 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 got to choose, I guess, but Batman's not holding one of the Gotham City police officers, not saving them, and it, he's like super vilified because of that. I even... I was just like, of course, you choose her, <laughs> Batman. Yeah, I was curious, and I wonder, we'll
2: never... I'm not sure if we'll ever find out what really happened, because... They kind of follow up with this reporter character and talk about the book she wrote, but she even says she doesn't remember what happened. And uh-huh. I couldn't, I wasn't sure what did happen at that point. I didn't know what was the fallout. Like, did he have to choose between the two characters to save? Or, no, I was right. really interested to, if, to see what really happened. If
1: you, if you, uh, are kind of dialed into the coda of the next, uh, part of it, what happens is they all kind of are. That she wrote a book about it, and they all kind of ignore it. And then Romy kind of goes to confront her, and uh, she's like, "No, you have it all wrong." And if you read the, you know, she reads the dedication, and it's all about how the cop um dropped her into Batman's arms to save her and sacrificed himself so that she would live and the dedication is to the cop, and the whole chapter explains that it wasn't Batman who saved her, it was the cop who got her out of harm's way and dropped her into Batman's arms. So the only part that they see is Batman holding her, but she describes what happens is that that cop gave his life so that she would make it out. And that was kind of the, one of the only times that Batman looks better than a grade-A D-bag <laughs> in this entire series. What story was it this one?
2: Uh where he Batman hides in the shadows and one and Sarge has a conversation with who he thinks is a fellow detective. No, that that's about a case. That's
1: in the next group of Oh man, how great was that scene. Yeah, that
2: was great. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I, I I was totally fooled. I didn't know what happened when he looked at the footprint and realized it was um uh, oh, yeah. Batman that Bat- he was Bo- talking to. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> But um this one had one of my favorite endings where it just ends in misery. You know, Nate is on his deathbed. Uh there's a Proby Proby's dead and Joker is the one that survives at this whole thing. And they talk about it. They just say it's two of the cops I think it's just not fair. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the other one's like, "Well, it's Gotham." And like, "Man, how do you get up in the morning in this city?" When stuff like that happens. I could. I right. just don't get it.
0: You have to have... Um, you have to have the stuff... To have your metal tested like that daily. You have to have almost a, probably a sickness. And it keeps you going... In this city of misery. But it Gosh. keeps you getting up and going and doing the same darn thing. Like... I don't know if it's a sickness of you thinking eventually you'll make a difference or you're helping somebody at some point, but mm-hmm. it's just
1: demoralizing every which way. In the worst way. I mean, you're t- you're probably talking about a room full of people that have been raised and mentored to be corrupt to get their own job done, but still have this core sense of honor to save families. Mm-hmm. And, they won't ever be better than that because the lives that they lead in the city they live in are broken, and so as, as honorable as they shine, they'll still always be tarnished by Gotham. Jones is writing poetry or something over there. I, I, What's happening? I re- you know,
2: sometimes I got it, sometimes Jones is I, reading I don't. From a no- a moleskin right <laughs> now. <laughs> Use this line during book two. Uh, so. From there, um, life is full of disappointments. Starts, and this one is a this one's an odd one. It kind of combines a lot of the detectives and several storylines into one. Um, I don't know. I don't know. The Huntress shows up at at one point in this storyline. This is my least favorite of all of them. Absolutely, I, but I there was a great. B, it's like at this point it was like a D plot. There were so many kind of mini plots in this storyline that were hanging over from like Sarge not getting the job and this weird chemist uh, crime that happened, and then there was another character that had mob ties with the company that was involved.
0: I I I like the storyline only because it focused it seemed to focus more on the interpersonal relationships between the department. Mm -hmm. and the crimes took a backseat more than in the other stories.
2: Yeah. Okay. I can see where that... Maybe the art didn't hit for me either. I thought the art was kind of a huge weakness for this one. But the one highlight in this story for me was the, the the two cops. One has like a gambling debt right off the bat. So the female partner... Kind of signs them up for overtime so that to like to subconsciously silently help him pay for his gambling debts, mm-hmm. and she has a recital that she wasn't invited to by her son and the other cop. You know, pull some strings to get her to the recital. I thought that was probably the best part of this of book two. I
1: think. Yeah, but I mean, I feel that would have been more in place with a <clears throat> maybe like a rucka. Pro, you know like uh, creating her own property like that's such a beautiful story mm-hmm. that I, it's kind of juxtapositioned here in, in a story that's about the peripheral view of superheroes and it was really sweet because you know he's
0: got a gambling problem but he's not a total douche and right. he still cares for his partner and he wants to see her witness her son you know play first
1: chair in the orchestra it's called book or Gratham Central right
2: but, um, yeah, for me, this was the weakest. I actually felt like the high point was Montoya and the Joker story was still a downward trend but was still so high. And then this life is full of disappointments was like, eh, eh. Like, I didn't understand how Huntress just kind of showed up. I didn't know what was going on with Huntress. I didn't even think that dude that she was talking to was a cop. I had no idea who he yeah. was.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think your statement about the art kind of was true. I think I got a lot of people confused, like there were different cops, but there were so many different storylines going on. I started mixing up faces because they all, they some of them kind of looked similar and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, if
2: I was reading this monthly and that Huntress cliffhanger happened, and then the next issue, I'd be like, I might be checking out of this title. <laughs> like, I might be done for Gotham Central. And I don't even know if, maybe that happened. Maybe, I don't know. But it was, like, so weak that I would I would probably, like, eh, I'll check out the next storyline. Or I'll check out the next trade or whatever. And that, mm-hmm. that sounds very super superficial of me. But, I mean, that's exactly
0: what I felt when I was reading this storyline. But if you picture this book coming out monthly, I mean, so, a story like this could really lose readers just because... It's like a 5, or maybe it's a 4 issue arc, but it's not super long, but still it's like it felt janky like it enough. Took forever. Yeah, it's janky enough to where it could certainly lose somebody.
2: Mhm. Um and then after that, the final story in the book was unresolved, which brought Harvey Bullock, a character that you know, most people who read comics know, but kind of the right-hand man to Gordon. Mhm. He comes back to Gotham Central He's been, you know, rumored to have done something bad to not be a cop anymore. And you don't have any idea. I guess maybe longtime DC readers know. Maybe. Um, but we, as people that just hop into Gotham Central, we don't know. And it's revealed in this issue that, you know, someone put a hit out on Gordon at one point, And the reason that the cops couldn't put him in jail is because he was in witness protection. So... Harvey let the mob know about where this guy was and they took care of him. And that's how Harvey got justice and they took his badge. So he's been kind of like a suicidal drunk since this has happened. Mm-hmm.
1: The DLA and, of the GCP. Yeah, you <laughs> could
2: you could compare this to, to a DLA character who had his polo badge removed. Yeah. And this the storyline was there was one case that Harvey never solved and it was about a bomb that blew up this uh, high school sports team, all except for two kids, and he never figured it out. And the reason it comes back to Gotham Central is because Driver knew the one of the survivors, and after he survived this attack, he kind of just became like an insane person. And they meet up again, and Driver is intrigued to try to solve the case after that guy kills himself. But there were, there were some flashes of greatness in this storyline. Yeah, for me, like it, I was excited that the art team was back, mm-hmm. and and um Rucka was writing a full story, Driver was involved, but how on earth was Harvey Bullock a detective? This guy couldn't get couldn't
1: solve his way up a paper bag. He his explanation, his <laughs> he's like, well, you know, Manhatter and Penguin both wear top hats. So I can extrapolate from that that they're in a league together to kill this baseball team. And he goes and he B&E into the penguin club or raptor club, whatever they call it, and basically pistol whips the penguin for about 10 whole minutes before (laughs) anybody stops him. And you're like, first of all, what evidence? And second of all, like how many police brutality cases before this had to be swept under the rug? I mean, what a terrible detective Harvey Bullock is.
0: It's, a, it's a, I mean, it's a darn shame. Everybody looks up to him, but really, they're just afraid to say the truth. I mean... His hunches are terrible. They're probably... Every every hunch he's got, other detectives are probably just rolling their eyes and just, like, ignoring them. Here <laughs> comes another
2: Bullock hunch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's one point where they stumble. They literally fall backwards into an evidence box with this kid's baseball cap from the bomb scene. <laughs> it was unmarked. And it, it was. It so, has a Mad Hatter card in the hat. And
1: a Harvey's like, like, oh, F, where'd you guys find this? Was it in the hat the whole time? How do you not see that during the investigation? You
2: should have been fired from that investigation, period. He should have been off the force 10 years ago, or however many years ago it was. I was appalled when I read that. I felt I felt my my manness go inside myself <laughs> for Harvey Bullock when I saw him in that room, seeing that thing in the hat.
0: Man, that I just picture, I get. I just kept picturing um, Bullock's big flappy face from '89 Batman. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like, bleh, bleh. like it's, <laughs> there's nothing. Or that wasn't even
2: Bullock. That was that I think that was a character for the movie. Eckhart. Oh, Eckhart. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Eckhart. Yeah. Think about the future. <laughs> that guy's voice it was grating in that movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Worry about yourself, <laughs> Jack. It was like Knox. every line he had was done. Drinking too
1: much strano.
2: <laughs> you drinking too much J <laughs> that next? <guy> that was terrible. <laughs> But, uh, there, I mean, there was some some cool things in this book where Harvey obviously is a just full-blown alcoholic, and maybe Jonesy won't say so because, you know, it's not, if it's not diagnosed, you're not an alcoholic, <laughs> according to Jonesy. But, I mean, he d- he goes after the Penguin, which we joke about him being a bad detective, but maybe that can be chalked up to him having, like, you know, 30 whiskeys at that point. Sure. And he <laughs> and just starts setting. beating up the Penguin, and then once they tell him, that the driver, they've already solved the case by this point. So Harvey is just beating him up for no reason. And they tell him they solved it. And he's like almost so, his madness is almost so inside of himself mm-hmm. that there's just nothing left. For, once he hears this, he, he puts a gun in his mouth and tries to kill himself on that roof, which I was like, whoa, okay. This is, yeah, yeah. this is some legit deep, dark stuff now. And, um, one of the, I can't remember which police officer it was, maybe Mackenzie or McDonald, uh, she tricks him into thinking, yeah, she, she tricks Harvey into thinking Batman's behind her and they get the gun out of his hand and,
1: um, man, How, Uh, how about the A plot though, where, uh, so essentially the Mad Hatter, uh, killed this baseball team, or rather, commanded one of them to. Do.
2: <laughs> Think about the future, Manhattan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was, that was oh, yeah, spot on. <laughs> Manhattan has the eternally charged cell phone hidden in the walls of <laughs> Arkham Asylum.
1: <laughs> it's a, uh, it's brand new technology. He just does jumping jacks <laughs> till the phone is recharged. Towers
2: What are the chances that he? still keeps in contact with that woman. After all those years, that's the only number dialed into that phone, and he right. immediately knows right. it to call? Oh, sorry. Continue about the A-plot joke. So, uh, so, so, anyway, right no one knows what I'm saying
1: No, but you're absolutely right. So basically, these two kids uh, live in an apartment building, and Manhattan lives there, and the tenement mother, her daughter... You know uh, has a child out of wedlock, and she pretty much lies to her mom and says hey i was I was hard hard by this captain of this baseball team, so the mother like i guess pontificates to the whole apartment complex that her daughter was raped, so Ben hatters like, "Well, I'll take care of it, and goes and <laughs> slaughters the entire team." And I'm just gonna whip you up a quick pipe bomb to (laughs) blow up the baseball team. Just you know, like make it a pot of stew. Let me get this bomb together. And you're absolutely right. The a plot is so bonkers that the b plot with Harvey being a drunk is almost a welcome respite from the fact that we're to believe that one of Batman's rogues gallery many years ago had the same technology had now. Used it only the one time, and then later his life decided to be the Mad Hatter. I, I
2: mean, what a screwed up thing to happen. If you take apart the kind of crazy, psychotic, make a bomb, blow up these kids story, but that woman that got pregnant and was knew what was going to happen when she told her mother, I mean, that chain of events got all those kids killed for a rape that didn't happen for i mean anything that didn't happen those those kids and the crazy mother and how a young mm. girl was so afraid to tell her mother the truth that she accidentally got pregnant i mean these are like that portion of the story and that comes back to the renée telling her parents like this stuff happens but the chain of events that happen after that are just so like crazy yeah. and mind blowing feel terrible for everybody involved, as usual. I mean, that's what—that's the feeling you get when you read anything about Gotham City. Yeah, it's you just Gotham. feel sick, and you need to go turn the cold water on and just lay in the bathtub and just pray it washes off. Drink like, like Harvey
0: Bullock. <laughs> a, smoke a cigar. In fact, I as soon as I start drinking and smoke a cigar, I will just start throwing up everywhere. So <laughs> I could never be what Harvey Bullock is. Do you remember, Jonesy the ending to
2: Batman Earth-1? Do you remember Harvey Bullock was this hot up and coming? Right, right, right.
1: That it gets beat by the villain, and then is like
2: he screws up so badly. In a mental
1: state at the ending.
2: And the the ending is him. You know, he's like he's a gr- good looking man. He's like a writer. Fresh, yeah, like fresh crime novel. Right, sober. And yeah, the the last panel I think of that book was him standing in front of a liquor store. Yeah. And that's how it started off. I thought it was a really amazing ending. Reminds
1: me of Barney after uh, the NASA training. <laughs> it begins. It begins. <laughs> Gotta think about the future, Javi.
2: Whose voice was that?
1: <laughs> that was like a British <laughs> Eckhart who lost his way. Okay. It's amazing. That's what it was.
0: Oh, uh, boy. What a show. Man. Gotham Central, though. Must, it's a must-read. I know they just re-released the trades. You owe it to yourself if you if you like police procedurals, because that's what it is, but it's amazing. Completely amazing. Next week we'll finish the second half of Rucka Keg Gotham Central.
1: We got your letters. I'm gonna open them up. The gonna read them to you.
2: Letters at paperkeg.com. You shoot us a letter, we might read it on
0: the era. All right, so uh, this week, our letter segment. First up is uh, a friend of the show, at, under an anchor on the Twitter, Sean Miller, Sean M., Hey, guys, got a couple questions for you. Let's call him S. Miller. (laughs) The museum in my hometown of Stockton, California, is having an Alex Ross art exhibit over the next few months. Long story short, I was asked to give a presentation on comics and their role slash influence on pop culture. Feeling underqualified, I politely declined, but that made me wonder what I'd even say. What would you guys like to hear from a speaker at an art event like this? At an event like this, if given the task, what would you three say about comics and their influence? Any talking points suggested would be most appreciated. If I do end up speaking, lastly, I've noticed that the inherited has been getting mentioned, <laughs> trolled lately in the letter segment. Sure, it's great to poke fun of the whole. We could be just days away from an announcement statement, but making a comic is hard. Having a day job, a spouse, and kids makes it nearly impossible, but it can be done. Sure, you might not be any good at it first, but the point is you did it. Janesie, I think I speak for all the paper keggers when I say, you're, when I say yours as a comic we'd get behind. I don't know anything about it, but I'd imagine it's a good story just based on your knowledge of the medium already. Thank don't you. know where I'm going with this, but... Idiot, man. I know how hard it is, and I'd love to see you succeed. Keep at it, bib. Sorry for the long letter, but I'm feeling particularly chatty since I've got a bunch of cheap beer in me. This letter brought to you by Pabst Blue Ribbon. Hashtag, who would ever give this beer a ribbon of any color?
1: Uh, By the way, this letter was not written by me. It was written by an actual person uh, Mm -hmm. that listens to the show. Thank you for the kind words. Uh, I, I think I'm just at a point in my life where the boy has just got kind of a little bit older and can Checks do you know, can do some things on his own and then I can have time to write. You know, maybe you take uh,
2: six less, quote, business meetings during the week. You know, you spend that time, <laughs> 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, you know, in front of that typewriter. That yeah, old-fashioned you know, typewriter. All that
0: time spent drinking your pancake breakfasts you funnel that
2: you know. Yeah. You say no to those uh
1: Tully Mordeas and uh, we have Inter- an intervention on our hands. keg, here we go. <laughs> Alright, so the next letter uh requests that I come up with some music to read this letter to which I have uh in the interim while you guys are blabbing about something or other. So um before should we should we answer the first Jones, part? of Jonesy doesn't letter even then?
2: care about the rest of the letter. He just wants to dig a big old <laughs> poop on it.
1: Uh, I would love for a comics presenter to talk about the forgotten creators like Bill Finger and people that you don't know have influenced your life because they're not Stan Lee. Not 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 that I have anything against Stan Lee, but the I think the lesser known creators need a day in the sun, and I would love to see that as a presentation.
0: Yeah, I, I, I. That's actually a good angle to take. Like, I mean, not a lot of folks know about Will Eisner and, and and Bill Finger. Like you said, um, all those, all those guys that I don't know about. But I would yearn to kind of know what these these architects did with the medium, and and kind of branch out from there. What that's influenced from from there on out, creatively in the. Book world. Josie's big phone. I can't stop staring at the top. Of <laughs> pizza. I, just, I love it. I just love it
1: so much. God. Okay. All right. Is this a dragon fro letter? Is this, no, this a dragon fro no letter? letter? Is it? No. Next letter uh, from dear friend of the show and my personal good friend, uh, Jim Lind. He says, "How DJ loves beer. Find some mm-hmm. suitable music uh, to which uh, I'm going to cue it up now." Eric Clapton. No? All right. Here we go. Ready for the letter? It says, Kegulators, which is our new name, by the way, which I have immediately super adopted. First, the summer of paper keg quickly became the fall of paper keg for me as I've been catching up on old episodes like mad. Second, I don't think anybody has suggested the rather obvious Cruise Control as a title for the Tom Cruise branch of the Paper Keg Syndication Network. Third, I was glad to hear you enjoyed RoboCop vs. The Terminator as I've got a lot of emotional baggage attached to this series. My stomach was tied in knots as I waited your verdict on the book and the possible destruction of my glory days. <laughs> As you gushed over this masterpiece, I was awash in nostalgia, taking me back to that summer when I first bought this series. I purchased a lot of SE image number ones, foil embossed, trifold, die cut, glow in the dark monstrosities in those days. Thankfully, None of that matters as I'm whisked away to the moment I picked these four issues out of the back issues long boxes. Feels like just yesterday I was loading up my cassette player with a taping of some underproduced college radio show and heading off on my 10-speed to Jim's Comic Emporium in St. Paul Park, Minnesota. It was a great time to be alive. The single issues of this book came with a cardboard centerpiece that you could cut along the dotted line and have a little small-scale standee on your desktop. Kids today will never get to experience that kind of physical interaction with a book when they are buying digitally. Naturally, my cardboard pieces are uncut to maintain the mint condition of those issues. I am with you on that one, Jim. Fourth, let me tell you about a little book I've been enjoying called God Hates Astronauts. The opening sequence of issue number one has Admiral Tiger eating a cheeseburger and his spaceship full of crab-headed officers collide with a homemade wooden rocket piloted by an earth farmer and everybody dies a terrible death. If you aren't sold on this title 100%, go play in traffic. Lastly, it continues... Lastly it feels like you started the music (laughs) and you started reading slower. Yeah. I I don't know what happened. It's like you're reading in slow motion.
0: (laughs) His actually his his letter is only a couple sentences long, but Jonesy's (laughs) slow reading.
2: Time has stopped when you started reading this letter. It feels like the clock is
1: going backwards. (laughs) Alright. Lastly, I think that the assumption that everybody has one book that they can turn to and say that this is the book. That it finds their life Is a little asinine uh, a Maybe Slim oh is a special case We already know he's special I subscribe to a one book Per decade philosophy uh, The book need not be published During that decade My list in the 90's The Crow and the Double aughts He prefers the naughts Watchmen And the 2010's Strangers in Paradise it is still mid decade, so I can change my mind. My jaw kinda is tired right now. Uh, keep on tapping the brakes. At Jimlin for Pope. P.S. There was an additional TermiCop series called Terminator Robocop Kill Human and I. Honestly, I don't know if I ever finished it. I read the first issue and thought it was garbage. I read the second issue and knew it was garbage. Once I'm two issues deep in a four issue mini I tend to buy the last two issues Just out of habit <laughs> But I can't honestly tell you If I did I've tried to block the entire thing out of my memory I need a water I mean, The City of Blinding Lights by U2 Is a, a six
2: minute Song <laughs> And we're at it's end It's it, it's over Six minutes to read that letter I don't understand what happened <laughs>
0: Oh, man. The show show producer's really coming out of Slim right now. (laughs) I I read that Kill Human miniseries. It was absolute garbage terrible. All right.
2: Shut the music off, Jonesy. Shut it all off. Should I fade it 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 out or
0: just... I'm going to read the next two letters. They're from the same person anyway, so it's just be combined into one letter. And they are from King of the Letter Writers at Dragonfro. hey, fellas. I really think we should all take a vacation from trolling Jonesy. It's not easy being the least favorite host. Being ridiculed for for having a face that can be seen from space. (laughs) It has to be tough to have your place of employment mentioned every week. Spoilers, Jonesy Forksford redacted. That being said, only a person who throws their wife under the bus while lying to his friends (laughs) doesn't like Captain Carrot. At
1: Dragon Carrot. Yeah, thanks for taking that huge break uh, about a breath before you trolled me again. And his uh, his follow
0: up one sentence letter another huge event that cloak will play an important role in again, Secret Wars 2015. At mark my words, fro on Twitter. There you have it. Thank you for that. Yeah, Secret Wars coming back apparently. Esad Ribic, Jonathan Hickman. Mm, Esad Ribic you might as well just throw your brains out on a, cu- on, a, on a counter start rolling them out with a rolling pin and
1: and twirling them up like a pretzel there was some tweet that I read earlier that says breaking news Jonathan Hickman admits that you know shortly after birth he began writing Secret Wars <laughs> that's good what a show
2: Gotham Man. Central book one book two Next week. I just want to issue a blanket apology for that letter segment just to I everyone didn't that write that letter.
1: About, it what? was nine pages long.
2: We've entered the city of blinding lights and we might never not ever come back. We'll see everybody next week.
1: So, did you guys see The Flash? Any thoughts on that? Negative. No? Dale? Uh, Dale, I'm sure you have not.
2: Just trying to read 20 issues of Gotham Central. Trying to watch Redacted for the recording after this. Mm -hmm.
1: Spoilers for the live audience. Well, they won't be able to watch it. Redacted, Redacted. It's okay. Redacted, Redacted.
2: But I I did read um Batgirl. Oh yeah. Read that. Red Axis.
0: How was Batgirl?
2: Yeah. How'd you like it? Liked it a lot. Liked it a whole lot. I think
0: I'm gonna pick it up.
2: And recommend it.
1: I gotta buy my weekly comics. Like oh,
2: uh Endgame Part One, Batman. Anybody else read that?
1: No, what's what's that? Oh man. Can you give me gotta, your you can you give me that. your
2: elevator pitch for it? N- um, no. The Justice League are Thanks, after Dale. Batman. So this is the new arc for Capullo Snyder. Mm,
0: another 12-issue year long. You, you,
2: you should probably read it because if you don't read it, the ending is going to get spoiled for you. Okay. Because I was, sh- I was shocked that it wasn't spoiled already. Wow. Yeah, unless it's a red
1: herring. Buying right now, by the way. There you go.
0: <laughs> Old Z. Classic Z.
1: Classic move, Z. You suck. Everybody hates you. There we go. Boy, oh
0: boy! It's that caramel vodka and cider. He finished. He's finally finished that second glass. Of his- We've entered the pity party. Yeah, it's a soup. Population one. Steamy <laughs> soup of pity.
2: Weather shows. Uh, you watching any more of that Monday Night Wars,
0: uh, Dale? Uh, not yet, no. Oh, gosh. But watch, maybe I'll watch one after this. We'll see. I'm trying to uh, get back to getting up and exercising, so no late nights.
2: How's it going so far?
0: It's going good. My third, uh, my second night last night using Sleep Cycle app. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's the sleep cycle app itself or my mentally. I'm just ready to let the sleep cycle app work. It's magic on me, but
2: right. It's like a placebo app.
0: Yeah, it really is because it does the same thing as like you can even snooze it easier, but it seems a little more effort to turn off. So it's going to keep bothering you, Mm -hmm. which is, which is enough. And I'm like, I got to get my a up and, Break this plateau and get upstairs and work out. So yeah, confident, I'm confident.
2: Jonesy, any uh, comments on that?
1: Anything? And Dale, well, Jonesy's uh, reading Endgame right now. He's no, listening. no. He's I, I, I on am page three. I'm mid purchase. Uh, oh, witches! I read too. Jeez, man, <laughs> the guy just has all the time in the world. It's like he sits at his <laughs> office and reads comics instead of. Customer servicing people, whatever that means. I might maybe that was his
0: show prep. <laughs> Reading those books.
1: <laughs> who knows? Who can I, say? I support it. I mean, if you're on the clock and you can do it, get it done, babe. Let's you say, I I uh, I read on the online mm-hmm. that they finally did a DNA match and they discovered who Jack the Ripper was. Now it's a done deal. Like it's pretty much solved case. And uh, because of that, I was like, I need to read Gotham by Gaslight again. Mm. The Batman Jack the Ripper crossover. Such great moments. Do you guys know there was a failed video game based on Gotham by Gaslight that never made it to production? Yeah, it's part of that article. Like, maybe start Googling and Wikipedia Gotham by Gaslight again. And there's like actual screen grabs of character models for the game. It was basically you were in the world of Gaslight, and you, like, uh, I guess ran into Victorian rogues gallery of Batman, and you had to overcome those obstacles. I mean, can you imagine that being a game? I mean, I would want to play it, you know, 24-7, 365, you know what I'm saying, Ben?